welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. God bless you this morning. And again, you're very, very welcome. I'm delighted, actually, that it was mentioned already in, in the service. Um, you know, we're just a week on from the Good Friday and, of course, the Resurrection Sunday, last Sunday. It was a wonderful service here. It, it, the beauty of having the devices is that you can go back and look as well. So, I actually, just, I won't mention the lady's name, but she's only a young Christian. She came up to me last week. She comes and volunteers with Feed Cork. And she's on fire for the Lord. This woman is on fire for God. And she said, I'm so enjoying the church services because she said, as a young Christian, she said, sometimes I don't get everything that's said so I can now rewind it and listen to it again and rewind it. And I'm told, man, this is awesome. You know what I mean? And uh, so praise God this morning. You have that option. So some great teachings have gone out on the resurrection and also on Good Friday. And go back and you're locked in your home. You've got more time on your hands. Fill your mind with the righteous things of God and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. So, but I'm delighted that was kind of said that we don't now just pass by that. And it's just an event that we put off. And I, I was... Later yesterday afternoon, I was actually struck with this um, one verse that I'm hoping this might go on to a next week. I don't know. We'll see where it goes this morning. But it's just when the Holy Spirit stops you with a verse. And actually, the verse is from Luke 22, 20. Likewise, also, after he took the cup, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now, I put it to you that we can so easily, as ministers and congregants alike, so skip over the enormity of what's just been said. This is an enormous truth that, in actual fact, took a long time to even sink into the very minds and the hearts of even the disciples themselves. The far-reaching implications of these several simple words. He took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. And we could just roll over that. And I want, I want you to understand it because when you become a Christian, whether you're on the road a long time like myself, there's many of us on, here on the road a long time, but yet there's so much revelation we need, to, we've yet to come into. And others that we have and we can share with you. And then you might be a Christian just briefly on the road, but we all come into Christianity holding up a lens of what we believe is morally right, what we believe God looks like, what we believe sin, righteousness, judgment, uh, forgiveness, all these ideas. We have our theories and our lenses. And then we come to Christ, get wonderfully saved, but we don't, we don't look at it through the lens of the new covenant. We look at it through the lens of our past experiences, whatever they may be. Whatever religious background, if you came from a very legalistic background, be it Christian legalism or whatever legalism, you tend to, what tends to be fortitude, fortified into you is this lens of looking at everything the same way. 
Yeah, if you're very graceful and like, or maybe possibly bordering outside of grace into licentious, you could be the same way. Asher, love covers everything, and so therefore you can do what you want to do. And of course, the Baptists in Monster did that. Actually, if you go back in history, they they had a city that they declared that there was it was antinomianism to the core. They were literally running around in the streets having sex, saying, "Well, we can. We, this is our liberty in God." That's part of the unfortunate history of of of, of a movement within that denomination. Nomination. And uh, not that all Baptists are like that, so, but absolutely phenomenal men and women of God. I would put myself with them in the sense that Christians who came into an understanding, let's not just call it Baptists, it, it's the reality that when you come into the grace of God, that some people can go extreme, and it has a lot to do with the sort of lens that you come in with. And so you have to get the lens right when you, when you understand what's been accomplished at Calvary. This is the blood of a new covenant. And it's important for us to understand that the, by the speak of the Bible or the talk of the Bible is covenants. It's, you, you can't escape the word. It's everywhere. In actual fact, your Bible is broad-basically bought into, into two halves, effectively. You know, you, you, you'll hear it when we grew up in catechism or if you grew up from a quasi-Christian background. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament are the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Both words are actually identical in their meaning. And um, so the Bible is broken down basically into those two halves, even though there is, there is arguably more covenants in the Bible than just two, seven in total, I think they put it down to. Um, let me just give you a brief uh, background of some of them. There is what we call the Adamic covenant way back in Genesis, right into the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Levitical covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then you come into what we call the new covenant or the Christic covenant, are the eternal covenant. All those are the one term. So seven in total. And so what Jesus is, is, is making a proclamation that this is something very new and very different than what you've heretofore experienced, how you've lensed your view of God, your relationship with God. Every covenant, of course, regardless of the type of covenant, has obligations put upon you that you must perform as a legal component to a covenant. A covenant is a contract. It's, it's a binding agreement between two or more parties where on one side, one party agrees to do something, and the other side, the other party agrees to do something, and they enter into covenant. And so they are not light um, things to enter into. In the, the word for covenant in the Old Testament is berit, and it denotes the shedding of blood as well, the cutting of a contract. We used to say it in, in you know, more modern English, did you, did you cut a contract? Did you cut a deal? That was the saying in business. Did you cut a deal or did you cut a contract? And so it, it came from the historic view of covenants and the cutting and the shedding of blood because that's how the ancients, when they entered into a legally binding arrangement, they would, they would, they would shed blood. And actually, you go to the Red Indians in, in, in the United States and they have blood brothers. I, I remember as a kid, you know, running around the lake lawn and playing with my guns and holsters and my buddies, and we wanted to do blood covenants, but we were all too chicken to kind of do the, the, the sort of uh, cut the arms and link the bloods, you know, at the time. So we wanted to be blood brothers with each other, but uh, I didn't, if I saw the side of blood, I'd probably faint anyhow. But anyhow, so, so even in that culture, you know, that kind of transed in this idea of, and what it denoted in the biblical sense is that if the agreement was breached, blood would have to be shed. It was, very, it, was, it was not something that you lightly involved yourself with. In actual fact, no covenant is a light arrangement. 
The covenant of marriage, friends, is not a light arrangement. It was something that was highly prized and valued at one time in our society to the point where it was shunned upon for you to break your covenant commitment to your spouse. Whatever the reasons were, it was not you, because it was till death do us part, until the shedding of blood. And so covenants in the Bible are far-reaching and very, very important. And, you know, when we look at what we've just come through in the Christian calendar, this is really the birth of what we call the new covenant, of course. So we have the start of the enactment of, at the Passover meal, uh, Jesus is now beginning to declare a new covenant. Of course, 50 days after that, on Pentecost, we're going to have the birth of a new church. So everything is becoming new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things pass away, and all things are becoming new. And of course, Hebrew talks about, Hebrews 8 talks about the very same thing, about having that, that, uh, that, that old covenant that, that's fading away. That is being, and he says, and is soon relegated. In other words, it was fastly approaching relegation because very, very soon after that came AD 70, and the temple was completely and utterly destroyed. And every semblance of the old covenant of the Jews and the Jewish faith was now completely destroyed and gone. And what only remained in the economy of even the Jewish Christian was only the teachings of Christ and the new covenant. What a transition they had to make, of course, to leave what was their, their thousands of years of believing certain religious practices and covenantal behavior that would earn them some sort of right of access to the presence of God. But here we have Jesus. This is the blood of a new covenant. A new covenant. A new relationship. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old covenant. You have to start slowing down the words, Christian, when you read them on the page. You just don't skim over these things. These are, these are enormous truths. You could skim over lots of stuff in the Bible, but you can't skim over these things. Because these are enormous. These were enormous, you could say, threats to the existing status quo of belief. These were enormous threats to the religious world of Jesus' time. And everything that Jesus did began to threaten the old covenant is everything he did. Yeah, I think last year we went through John, and I really enjoyed going through John last year as, as we came up to, to, the, um, to the whole Passion Week and uh, looking in the Gospel of John. I mean, Jesus picking heads of corn on the Sabbath. I mean, breaking the Sabbath, not washing his hands, you know, things like that, and uh, identifying with lepers and, and, and healing on the Sabbath and, you know, and then forgiving people's sins, you know, that, that no man has the right to forgive sins save God. And yes, and your point is, you know, and, uh, everything he's doing is a challenge to the Jewish thinking. You know, and it was difficult even for, I guarantee it was difficult. And actually, if you read between the lines, and sometimes not even so much between the lines, even with the disciples themselves, they're, they're, they're a little bit like, I love his radicalness, but are we skirting the edges of orthodoxy here? You know what I mean? Are we, are we gone into error? Because that's how they must have surely felt. The whole ire of the Jewish world was looking at them, and they're the radical teenagers hanging out with this new punk called Jesus, you know what I mean? This new rabbi in town, and he's, he's, the, he's got the torn jeans type, and, and you, you know what I'm on about. That's how, they, that's how they would have viewed it. But nobody could say anything, nobody could put a glove on him, because nobody ever spoke like this man spoke. Hallelujah. His miracles testified. The, it was an authenticity to who he was. Uh, his presence changed the atmosphere. He was an atmosphere changer. 
I, I'm going off topic, but who cares this morning? We, we've got next week as well. Uh, I remember a young man coming to me once and said, is it okay to, for me to go into the pubs and start witnessing for Christ, you know? Because Jesus went into the publicans and sinners, you know? And of course, the gaffing line, there's always a little bit of self-interest in some of these questions, of course. Not that that their brother wasn't anywhere guilty of that. And I said, sure, if you can do exactly what Jesus did and the whole atmosphere come to your feet and they want to hear the gospel, go in, I said. But I said, if they don't come to your feet, if you can do what Jesus did and make a cat of nine tails and start overturning tables and whipping places up, I said, I'm behind you all the way. <laughs> well, that was short-lived. My point is that Jesus was an atmosphere changer. Regardless of the radicalness of it, and they watched him with such fear and interest because all of a sudden miracles of, uh, rumors of real, real miracles are happening. I mean, they're up in Jerusalem saying, we're hearing a rumor like eight or 9,000 people got fed from a few loaves and fishes just down there by the Galilee. You know, we're hearing that a woman from Nain, her son, was dead and they're, they're proceed, and is going into the, out of the city to bury him. And Jesus touches the coffin and the guy sits up. You, you can imagine. And not only that, one of our very own, Jarius. Jarius is a good old sort. Jarius heads up the synagogue down there in Nazareth. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a good guy. You know what I mean? He's a trustworthy. He's a leader of the synagogue. And his daughter... Everybody said she was dead. You can imagine. I, I just want to put you into the, the mindset of everybody that's watching this incredible Jesus. This is the new covenant in my blood. You know, there's only eight blood groups. I propose there's a ninth. Amen. I, if I remember, you had A, B, which you could have positives and negatives, so that's four. And then A, B, positive, negative, and then you had an O. That gives you eight. But you know what? They discovered just a few years ago that genetic scientists about 40 years ago discovered that the blood group of your blood group and my group was the blood group was determined by the genetics of my father. Your father the same. It was gene genetics of your father determined your blood group. Now we know that Jesus didn't have an earthly father. I always wondered. It's conjecture. I always wonder what blood group he had. Amen. No O positive or B positive, friends, or A, B, or O, amen. Something different. There's a beautiful verse in Acts 20, verse 28. It says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Think about that. God, God's blood, which he purchased with his own blood. See, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins, friends. Could never do it. But there's something... And I don't want to become too mystical in this, friends, but I do think there's so much mystery and beauty around it that it should surely lift your faith. Something peculiar happened at the cross. Something phenomenal. And Jesus was telling, you know, it was customary when there was a covenant enacted. And I'm going to go into the covenants maybe now or maybe next week, who knows. It was customary when a covenant was made. We see that back in the time when... Um, when Leah and then Rachel after that, remember they got it wrong, the sisters got it wrong, but he made a covenant. Jacob made that covenant with Laban. And they'd sit down and have a meal afterwards. And that was how you celebrate. You had a covenant agreement. You worked seven years. And yeah, and then they had a big meal. They broke bread. And that was the enactment of the covenant. And so there was fellowship in that. And I think about Jesus, you know, when we come around the table of the Lord, 
And, uh, and it's a table of remembrance. It's a table of celebrating something that was done for us uh, on our behalf. But yet we come in, it's a table of fellowship. It's, it's a table where God, where we celebrate with God uh, all the terms of the contract. And amazing, isn't it? That's what we do. At least that's what we should be doing. That's what, when Paul says, let a man consider, let him, lest he doesn't discern the body of Christ. You understand this? It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 11. You know, some have fallen asleep because they haven't discerned the body of Christ. Not, he's not, not talking about the physical body. Discerning what this bread, what this wine represents, a new covenant. The far-reaching implications. You're brought into a, a meal with God that celebrates something that is eternal value, friend. The, the eternal covenant that has far more powerful than the blood of bulls or goats. That has the power to absolve and purge and impute righteousness to and remove sin from. To cover, protect, and give you that absolute cover as you walk in with boldness before the presence of a holy God. It's an awesome thing, friends, for us Christians to break bread. It's a solemn time, friends. It's a time of sobering time. It's a time for us to sit and remember this is celebrating a new covenant. And many understand there's something enormous going on, but they don't understand what the covenant is. And so they're robbed of much great victory for their life. Don't understand it. The benefit of it. And, and that's great too, friends. You know, in any area of growth and as a Christian, you don't always understand things when you just come into them. I didn't understand the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I just experienced it, you understand? I didn't understand all the merits of the blood of Jesus or the efficacy of the cross and, 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 his, and, his, and the power that was now working and willing within me when I became a Christian. I had no concept what sort of nuclear bomb went off you know, in the Spirit. I had no concept of how, how far-reaching. This wasn't just joining a new club, a new religion a little accessory for life this was life changing it was overarching every area every thought process everything that I do everything that I say everywhere I go it's all tempered with this new life that's come into me I had no idea what I really signed up for I have to be honest with you but man I'm so delighted I signed up for it I'm so delighted thank God what I'm trying to say is that you don't need to be an intellectual genius to benefit from the covenant of grace that's awesome isn't it not all of us are swift-minded, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in me will bring you on a journey so that you can, you can explore what that means in a way that brings greater joy and liberty to you. See, there's Christians, they're saved, but they act like they're in chains. There's Christians who are forgiven, but they act like they're sinners. There's Christians who are going to heaven and are biting their nails in case they're going to, slap the, go to hell. Because they don't understand the power of the new covenant. You understand? There's Christians looking over their shoulder, you know, thinking the devil, the devil can't get you. You belong to him. I remember my boys, particularly Nick and Nathan. And um, it's a bit funny, actually, for Nathan sitting here. Because we four sons, of course. And I always say that Nick and Nathan grew up under the law. And Jordan Tristan grew up under grace because I had to grow up as a father. I was only, I was, I had two of them by the time I was 22. Come on, folks, give me a break. You understand? A marriage and a wife, a, 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 a mortgage and two children at 22 years of age. Most of you don't even know how to wipe your nose at 22 today. All you need to, all you, all you seem to know is how to play PlayStation. Amen? Shame on you. Read your Bible. Grow up. 
Find something bigger in life. Amen. Find a real fighting perennial. Shinskilela. That's Irish for some of you out there who are, don't know what that means, and that's another story. But I remember I, I, I would do the Bible stories and pray with the boys, and there would be those times, you know. I suppose it didn't help when I gave them books like From Witchcraft to Christ to read, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, but they'd be terrified of, oh, demons and darkness and, you know, it's the devil, the boogeyman. It's a great ad on television, actually, the guy with the iPad and the dad looking under the bed. And it's not, uh, you, you know the one I'm on about. But I remember coming in and saying to my boys, I said, listen, I said, this, it's, this is simple. So I did have at least a bit of an angle on the New Covenant back then. I said, who owns this house? They said, you do. I said, no, no. I said, who owns this house? Oh, Jesus does. I want to tell you, I said, Jesus, I said, if Jesus owns this house, no devil can come into it. Impossible. No, he said he can look in the window at you. <laughs> and maybe he is, but he can't come in. Because this is Jesus' house. And that's an absolute reality. And see this house? The new covenant tells me this belongs to Jesus. Amen. So, hey, guess what? Light and darkness can't fellowship together. No demon can come into this house. Amen. And so many Christians run here on worrying about being possessed. You're not possessed. You're possessed by your flesh. That's a different thing. And you think certain ways, and as a man thinketh, so he acts and behaves and manifests. And that's a reality. And, and, and we all, our minds can play games with us, but when you are born again, let me tell you, nothing can come into that house. It's owned by him. And so when you understand that the blood speaks a better word, friends, than the blood of bulls and goats, the new covenant, when he means new, Hebrews again tells us he, the other became relegated. I had so many people over the years got so offended and be offended all you want because I ain't going back to that old dead religion of Judaism and Christianity mixed. No way. You end up with Catholicism. Well, I'd throw a bit of paganism in with that and then you get Catholicism. I'm going to be shot for this later on. But I want to tell you that's what happens. You have to get on to what the book says. You have to get on what the word says. Amen. You have to understand that there's something very powerful. And so the, every covenant, every covenant, and I'm going into in depth, but the Adamic covenant where God made a covenant with Adam. We know this, of course, because Hosea 6 8 tells us, but they, like Adam, have broken your covenant and were unfaithful to you. So we know in the Garden of Eden there was a covenant between God and Adam. And that, got, got, that was a covenant of works where Adam was in a contract with God, a covenantal relationship where God would come to him and visit him in the cool of the day. He would give him this beautiful garden, this existence. We don't know how wide-reaching it was, but it was a beautiful existence. And he said, oh, you know, you can have everything. I want you to name the animals. I want you to look after the garden, Adam. I'm going to give you a helpmate in that journey. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your light. And of course, there's two items in that garden. You know, one of them you can go at, but the other one, I don't want you near it. One's a tree of life, and you can eat all day long, Adam. I want you to live. That's a picture of Christ, of course. It's a picture of leaning upon the plan of God. It symbolizes that. And the other is a, is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't go in there, that one, Adam. If you take self-determination, if you use the intelligence that I give you and say that's enough in itself, I can elevate myself beyond my natural given status by God and become as God, then, Adam, you're going to go down philosophically, theologically, experientially, and spiritually a road that's going to lead you. The day you eat, you shall surely die. Something will change you, Adam. Don't go near it. And, of course, the devil comes in, of course, you know, and has God said, and, yeah, you will not die. You should be as gods. Now, you won't be God. 
God was right that time, Adam. You won't be God. You can't be him. But you can be as him, knowing good from evil. You can, you can be better than what you are. Science will make you better. Knowledge will make you better. Education will make you better. Some of the greatest fools I've ever met in this world are educated fools because the Bible says the fool in his heart says there is no God. And have all that knowledge and deny the one that's behind it. What a fallacy. What a fallacy to live by. I always enjoyed listening to some of those atheists, actually, but just for their wit and their candor, I'll be honest with you, because they do expose some fallacies about false Christian teaching, not the Christian teaching. Christian teachings of Christ are impregnable by these atheistic philosophies and understandings. But I'd laugh at the false because I would agree with them on the false ones. I'd tear them apart, Hitchens, all day long if you want. But that's not what true Christianity is. The power of God willing and working and changing a man's life. And so in that garden, in that first covenant, we know what happened. Adam took, partook of the tree of knowledge and he filled his species, you and I, with an absolute belief in self. We are so full of our own self-importance, and I can do. And that's what we are. The biggest problem we face as ministers is to actually get a man or woman to actually see the need to be saved. They don't. Oh, no, I'm not lost yet. Oh, it's those drug addicts that go to Cork Church. And those, those real weak ones, you know, those societal dropouts, they're the ones that need Jesus. They, they, they go to those born-againers. You know, they're, the, they're the depressed ones. But I'm on my own journey, you know. It's a sort of Frank Sinatra way of living, isn't it? I did it my way. And that's what Adam did. Adam filled Frank's, Frankie Boy with so much self-pride. I did it my way. I will ascend the hill of the Lord. I will rehab myself. I will get on there. You see, every covenant was about a rehabbing of self, and self couldn't be rehabilitated. Self had to die, friends. And that's what all the covenants were. They were to bring forth death in us. God, there's in, in the core of every man, in the core of Adam and Eve, who still a desire to know God because there is shaped in your life that, that place, that void, it's built into your very DNA to know God. You're never fulfilled until you have that higher purpose, no matter who you are. Whether you call yourself an atheist or not, you may find nobility in serving great causes around you. And they're noble even by Christian standards, but they're never going to be enough. Until you find the greatest thing, which is to serve the Prince of Princes, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Until we bow the knee and come to that place of absolute fulfillment. But of course, Adamic nature won't allow that. It's always about trying to build a better me. A better person. And so that was every, every covenant was built basically with those precepts. That man would say to God, give me the rule book and I'll keep it. That's what it was. Imagine the audacity. Imagine the foolishness. We see it now as foolish, but we live it that way too. I'd, see, I, I, I'm one of those people who says that I don't believe the law is gone. It's only gone for me because I've received grace. But if you haven't received grace, the law is there for you. And God help you. Because by the works of the law shall no man be justified. There won't be a living being that will stand up before God's heaven and say, <clears throat> I'm here today, God, and I want to thank you for being here. I have a right to be here. Because I prayed more than Andrew Finn there. I did a lot more work than Isaac Ward. So he doesn't do much anyhow. And uh, Whatever it may be. And, you know, I helped old ladies cross the roads. And I was a good guy. I gave money to the poor. And by the way, Jesus, I'm just a good stand-up guy anyhow. And I deserve to be in heaven. Let me tell you, not one of us will stand on our merits. Not one of us will boast above our peers. I tell people all the time, you're no worse than anybody, and you're no better than anybody. You're just the same. 
And the gospel levels every man to that place of similarity, friends. Fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 21. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in these covenants, man is endeavoring to breach believing fully. You know, it was so crazy because eventually when you get to the Mosaic covenant, which is really what all the Jews believe in, the Mosaic Covenant is when nation Israel had been saved, are, are, are established. They've been brought out of Egypt. This was the plan of God, of course, because the Savior was eventually going to come through the Jewish lineage. But nation Israel is there. They become a microcosm for the world around to see how salvation, how holy God interacted with creation. Their fame, friends, spread far and wide. Right across the known worlds at that time, everybody knew that there was a God that spoke in Israel. And so Israel entered in, and it's incredible. In Exodus, you can read that, where, where Moses, you know, Moses slaughters the, the calf, and he sprinkles not just the vestments of the tabernacle with the blood to ratify a covenant, blood of an old covenant. He also sprinkled the people according to Hebrews. Now there's over three million people. Him and the elders had several days of sprinkling, let me tell you, because it was, they, that was your acceptance of the terms of the covenant. And the terms of that covenant were simple. You keep 10 commandments. You keep those 10 commandments and, God, and be faithful and love the Lord alone. Now, be unfaithful in your worship of God and who he is. Don't be going after other gods. And God's part of his covenant was, you do that and I'll be your God. I'll give you rain in the time of the latter rain. I'll keep your enemies at bay. I'll look after you. You'll have sun at the right time. You'll be able to have peace and prosperity. Wow! Well, you can imagine, the Jews thought this was a bargain of bargains. We got just ten simple commandments just to hold on to, just to build off these, and, and God will we'll have all that. It doesn't matter how big the armies of the world become around us. None of them can match the Lord. And so they love this. This is, they wholeheartedly say, ten simple commandments. Wow, this is great. And they, they, they ran for it, friends. They, and Moses ratified it, of course, only a few days after that. They're making a golden calf. After a little bit of testing, Moses has gone up the mountain. They're a little bit, you know, and it just goes to show you, I, I, we, we laugh at them, but don't you laugh at them? How many New Year's resolutions did you break hours after making them, sometimes minutes, and never smoke again? And before you know it, it's in your gob, before you know it, and you're back again where you were. It just shows you how fallen, isn't it? How, how needy of a Savior we need. And so all these covenants, you know, of course the Jews in their, in their mastery of discipline, you know, ended up with 613 laws to box in every wrong manifestation of their human flesh. They, they became so gridlocked, friends. In, in, you know, so if, don't make a covenant with your eyes. Don't walk down that street. Don't do this, do that. Yeah. And so when, when, when human nature failed, it had another, another. Little bit like religion. Oh, well, listen, you failed that time, but go to Saint so-and-so this time. He'll help you. You know. There's no other God besides our God, friends. No other rock besides our God. And so they end up with 613 bylaws to try to box in human failure, manifest, the manifestation of human failure. And they kept on falling and falling and falling. But Jesus came to bring a new covenant in his blood. It's like 2,000 years go by of the law. Generations come and generations go, and they all end up the same way. 
They all think that they can do things better than their mom and dad. They all think that I'm Mark 2, I'm version 2, version 3, Mark 4, Mark 5, as the generations roll on. Ah, oh, my parents were a little bit backward. If they read me a little bit better, a bit more even-handed, I wouldn't have been the way I am. It's like today's society. I am the way I am because you are the way you are. You know? I am making all these mistakes because of you. No, no, no. A bit of honesty in the equation. You're making all these mistakes because, first of all, you're led astray by the desires of your own heart. It always comes back to you. Stop blaming the group. Stop looking around you and finding the blame. I'm sick. I, I do it myself. I know all about it because I've done it more than you. I probably live longer than many of the young people in the church here. And so there's this, there's this propensity to believe that I'm a product sociologically. I'm, my outlook is because of them. No. You are because of the decisions you make. Oh, and so the Jews, I, 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 you might have heard me share this before, but I think it's relevant. When I grew up in a family of 10, my mom and dad, phenomenal uh, parents in every, every sense of the word, uh, but not perfect, but the most perfect parents that I know, put it that way. You can argue with me and you're still going to lose. My parents were more perfect. <laughs> but I always used to think, well, you know, they didn't quite see what my other brother was getting up to, and he got away with murder, and if I just put a foot wrong, they came down on me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, didn't always agree with how they disciplined. Thought I would do it better, and I'd do a better job, and you know, they don't quite, until I had my own four, okay? And all of a sudden, you fall into the same failures of your parents because you're no better than them. And what I'm trying to say is that generation to generation, the people thought that they were better than the one before and added an extra law and an extra rule to Judaism to box in human manifestation and eventually came to a place, friends, where they were so tied up in this idea of, of paying an obligation to God in a contract that they could never pay. Then in the fullness of time, Christ came into the world. I'm going to share next week a little bit more about the covenants. I think I've said enough today just to whet your appetite. This is a new covenant. The rest are relegated. What's the implications of relegation to these things? What is the implication of believing solely on Christ alone, solo Christus? Putting your faith totally in his work. What you can expect from both. But here we have, friends, this incredible truth of truths. This incredible, I'm going to leave you with Zechariah chapter 9 this morning. And as I said, next week we'll come back and we'll have more an in-depth look at the new covenant and all its ramifications versus every other covenant. And I think it will set you free. Amen. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 11 says, Because of the blood of your covenant, <laughs> I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Oh, can you see what Jesus is saying? This is the blood of a new covenant. And it's going to set you free, friends. It's not going to bring you into bondage. It's going to set you free. And whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And so what we preach to you this morning is not some weak old gospel about a man that died and rose again. The covenant lives on an eternal covenant, a new covenant, a far-reaching covenant, a covenant that can take you and bring you and sit you in a heavenly place without condemnation, a covenant that can take away your sins and impute you with a righteousness that comes from God through Christ. So when God sees you, he sees Christ. And this is not done in wishful thinking. A covenant is a legally binding contract. 
Salvation is a forensic act by God. God doesn't just wink and forgive you your sins. God pays for them. God just doesn't absolve. He just doesn't say, okay, well, come on the basis of what you are. He says, I will put a righteousness in you because you put your faith in this covenant. And that's what the new covenant is, friends. I just want to leave you this morning because we broke bread last week. This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Do not read it too quickly. And you can't read it slow enough. You can't stop there long enough to say, what, what implications does this have for me? They're enormous. Because religion is gone now. The law is dead. It's all relegated. And now what does the newness of this life mean? How does it work? How, coming into a greater knowledge of it, can I be more liberated within myself? And I, come on out, guys. We're just going to, come on out, singers. Come on out, all hiding there in the corners. We're going to worship the Lord just for a song. Will you stand with us this morning? And, and wherever you be this morning, and even if some of this has just excited your heart a little bit as we get into the teaching of the new covenant, I call this sermon, I think I give Jess at the, I think I call it the ninth blood group or something like that. Because I believe there's something more powerful. Paul says, it's not with the paltry things. Peter says, as with silver and gold have you been purchased with, but with the precious, precious blood. God's blood. A new covenant. Gospel that speaks a better word. And the more you understand a better word, the more free you're going to be. The more joy and liberty you're going to have as a Christian. Not carry around with you this religious weight that's on your back that's keeping you from rejoicing in your salvation but to be holding on to the fact that he is the resurrection and the life and that life has already come and it's birthed in your heart now, now I, I'm fully aware this morning that there's people out there that are watching this service and you don't know the Lord in that life changing way not yet but you're on a journey you wouldn't be sitting here watching this unless there was a at least an interest in your heart for deeper things. And I believe that's why you're here. You can know the reality, the reality, not just, the, not just the historicity, but the reality of what happened at Calvary. The reality of the death and the resurrection in your life. Not just in a theological understanding. That's, that's important. But it's no use just theologically understanding unless you apprehend it into your spirit. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if any man, unless a man, sorry, is born again, he can never see the kingdom. So you can't even see the covenant without being born again. You can't really even discern it, really. You can vaguely find its shape, and you can be drawn to its shape, but if you would come humbly to Christ today, and whatever device you're looking through this morning, if you would just say, oh, you know, if you have to sneak away, there's a few in the room or you're, you're in a crowd and you want to talk to God, can I just ask you to, I'm going to give you five seconds, I'm going to look around here. Just go. Find somewhere. And ask, ask God, ask Jesus to forgive you. And ask him to make you born again. So in other words, the Holy Spirit will come in. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the eyes of your understanding become enlarged and open. And then it is the openness into a revelation and a revolution of thinking that will set you free and empower you in your Christian experience. And many Christians, you're saved, as I said, but you don't know how saved you are. You're free, but you don't know how free you are in the covenant. 
is going to see because of the blood of thy covenant you've set us free from the waterless pit because of the blood of the covenant please join us next Sunday morning for the blood of the covenant let's worship the Lord thank you for tuning in with us today make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church also make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have any questions at all you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.